Sean. Hey, Radcast is on. And welcome to the show, Mr. Jim Zumbo. Gentlemen, I am pleased to be here, and I use that term loosely when I say gentlemen. (laughs) (laughs) Al Winder. Just want to welcome you to the show. Thanks for uh, taking time out of your busy schedule to hang out with us on a podcast for a little bit. Hey, I'm looking forward to it. There's nothing makes me happier than a cold in Minnesota. If I can't be out fishing, I should be talking about fishing. (laughs) Hailing from Wisconsin, Jenna Waller. Thank you so much for having me. It's Redcast. Hunting, fishing, and everything in between. Powered by Bo Spider. Brought to you by PK Lures and High Mountain Seasonings. And now, here's your hosts, Patrick Edwards and David Merrill. Good day to everyone. Hello and welcome to the show. We're back, Radcast Outdoors in the indoors, talking about the great outdoors. Fall is in full swing. I've definitely been out and about. I know Patrick will be missed on this episode today. His chair's here. We're wishing he's here. Wish him all the best. He's out doing Patrick's stuff. And I've been out doing David's stuff, which includes, oh, Alaska, Idaho, Oregon, Wyoming. Got to punch one tag. You guys can go check out the social media, Bow Spider. Had a phenomenal 16 days in the woods and it was it was well earned some people say must be nice as far as getting to disappear into the woods for most of september i also disappeared into the work trade show schedule starting in november and didn't quit till august there's trade-offs i got a great supporting family and wife and spouse that allow me to be gone all year working so i can turn around and be gone all fall hunting but never did truly find the monster bull elk or monster buck i was looking for found a good enough buck to hang a tag on messed up on a big herd bull I'll give you guys the story real quick. We were sleeping in teepee, wood stove, titanium, amazing on those cold mornings to start a little fire and get dressed in 90 degree, beautiful heat versus 32 degree frosty mornings. Listen to bulls bugle all night that night within 50 or 100 yards of the teepee. Honestly, we could have put it somewhere different, but we had stock with us. So trying to camp on water when you're that high elevation is difficult. Anyways, there was one bull just wouldn't quit about 300 yards from camp. I snuck over there and I had a choice to go right or left. There was two small trees and I'm looking down kind of a ridge ravine into a small basin, Aspen, Rolly Basin. There's more, no more than 200 yards visibility every direction, but it's a beautiful little timbered ridge that drops into this little Aspen meadow. And I'm working the edge and I come to these two bushes and there's a dead tree on the right hand side. And then the trail goes straight down into the open meadow. So I decided to stay in the little bit of cover. I stepped up on that dead tree because it was a wide fork tree with a bunch of branches. So I couldn't step between it. As I stepped up on there, I skylined and at 28 yards was a few cows and at 52 was the bull and some more cows. And he was yeah, 330, 340. I, I would have been happy. So needless to say, they all exploded and ran away. We called in a couple raghorns. I I think one was at 12 yards and I opted to pass him. But anyways, it was a great September. Season's still in full swing. I got a couple kids that have some youth rifle tags. I still have an elk tag in my pocket. So I'll be out and about chasing something. The mule deer was in one of my favorite spots. It was a cool time. He's a good buck. He's a good mature mule deer buck, and we look for lots of days. There's not a lot of deer out there this year. Anyways, uh, we'll get on to the show today. I'm really excited. We have uh, Ryan with um, Archery is a broadhead company that has come on the scene here in the last few years. We're going to get delve into what makes uh, very pointy arrows amazing. Uh, they're actually vantage point archery, but I like to, when I screw them on my arrows, they're very pointy arrows. So 
Welcome to the show, Ryan. Hey, thanks for having me, David. It's uh, it's exciting to be here, man. Like you said, it like it's in full swing right now, and it's just it's fun to take that little time out of a stand out here in Indiana not really running ravines and stuff like that. We're chasing cornfields and, and bean fields and trying to find that right setup. But yeah, it's a good time. I'm excited. Uh, it's been hot out here. We opened last Sunday. It's hot. And this morning, last night got down to 42. So you can tell things are going to start kicking off and moving pretty fast. Two weeks ago, all the aspen trees were green. Maybe three weeks ago, but definitely two weeks ago, they started to change. The last week, we got three inches of snow we've been hitting 32 36 for the high has been 50 but three weeks ago i was out there and we were in 80 degrees i was bailed off of one camp decided to go up the other one and it was two or three in the afternoon we're climbing this ridge we got to climb almost three thousand feet elevation and we're going from seven up to nine right and then we're wow. glassing up to 10 and there's no oxygen up there but when you're the hard part was is this was a southern kind of western faced ridge that we were climbing to glass back into the north side at three o'clock in the afternoon i had i, I wanted shorts so bad hiking that hill <laughs> went through so much water and now we're getting snow in time for the rifle boys to go take them out but i will say bean fields corn fields you guys got lots of protein you guys got lots of deer and you built you, you just grow some big deer in kind of that midwest north it stuff. is great like the corn's still on here so it's hard for guys to get out and we're a non-baked state right so it's one of those where it's good to have that corn on as late as possible but still it's like it's hard to see them coming they're coming for fields, you can hear them. You can hear them coming, but it's pretty cool. It's a lot of fun. I will say I may have harvested a mule deer in a standing cornfield one year. And long story short, corn ears, and they, they deflect arrows really bad. It's it's difficult to get an arrow. You can't, you can't have enough FOC for that, can you? Tell me, how did VPA get started? Why are you here? Share the story of how VPA got yeah. founded into the company it is today. So believe it or not, VPA has been around since 2008. Our engineer that's still here came to the guys that own the shop and said, hey, I've got an idea for a broadhead. And he's okay. They're like, okay, let's run with it. Fast forward to five years ago, 18, I think it was. We had a, a previous company that we owned locally and we needed some parts machined. And Jeff Stringer and I walked in here and we saw VPA broadheads being made over in the corner. We had, we lived 20 minutes from the shop and had no idea that they were making solid one-piece broadheads in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Fell in love. We talked to the owners, and they're like, there were some older guys that were ready to get out. And we're like, okay, let's make a deal. And since that point, the investment side on the BPA side has been like this. That's all we want to do is invest in that because we see not only the value in a solid one-piece broadhead, but also that it's made right here in the United States. It's just super cool to be able to do that and hear stories and connect with guys and always like the guys that get in the weeds, the guys are always like the tinker, the guys that like, I'm oh, sorry, I'll say it, like not the Saturday morning Walmart broadhead. We're here to like, we're here to make something that's going to stand and always penetrate and always it's not going to fail. That's my big thing. You and I got to talking and I just got online and I went Cape Buffalo hunting two years ago. It's on film. And unfortunately, I used a different broadhead that was uh, recommended. And it uh, their website shows lots of Cape Buffalo harvested by said broadhead. For whatever reason, my broadhead failed. My setup failed. And it failed on a rib. I did not get, got through the hide, got through the muscle, hit that rib. And, it's, and those things are quite armored. 
You're not, we're not talking a 300 pound corn fed whitetail here, guys. We're talking an African Cape Buffalo that's built to withstand lions and big predators with big teeth and claws. I had purchased, gone out on my own. I didn't call everybody up and say, Hey, here's who I am. Here's what I'm doing. I'm filming this hunt. Send me broadheads. No, I took your, everybody's broadhead, including yours and shot it into cinder blocks. Now, most of the broadheads that are higher end USA made broadheads, they all perform similarly. I wouldn't say one was head and shoulders above the other. There's features to each one. And we're going to get into some more of that. What I would say I was very surprised with is arrow build. I finally got an arrow built. I went with the gold tip kinetic chaos. I was shooting 75 pound bow at 30 inches of draw. I, I can't remember all the exact specs, but I was shooting that at five yards into cinder blocks through seven eighths plywood into center blocks to make sure that all the components and the arrows, there's a couple of them, the broadhead just stuck in the center block and I had to unscrew the arrow and then get pliers and wiggle the broadhead back out. And, yeah, yeah. and yours is one of those that honestly, a little bit of teeny tip and edge deformation and it's a solid one piece of steel. You're not bending it. You're not breaking it. You're not. Yeah. And I went with a little bit bigger, same weight than what I'd ordered with you guys. I ordered a 150 and I ended up shooting and that's because the pH wanted me to hit their magic numbers, which we've got into an earlier podcast with uh, Mr. Gillingham and you guys can hate me, love me, whatever. I'm going to say it right now. You don't need 800 grain arrows to pass through an elk, a deer, and it all depends on your setup. If you're only shooting 20 yards on a deer, it doesn't matter. It really, I'm, I'm going to Are you tell taking you. the same setup? Are you taking the same setup on an elk hunt or on that Cape Buffalo hunt that you're taking to attack event? No, absolutely not. No, either am no I. Like, it's all based off where I'm hunting at. And what I like to do for me, for my bow is cause I'm hunting. I was just up in Alaska hunting moose and I took your guys' 150 and unscrewed my hundred grains. Right. Why? Yep. I'm not going to shoot a moose at 68 yards. I'm just not going to do it. My, I'm intentionally putting a little bit stouter, heavier, bigger broadhead on, and I'm reeling in the distance of my bow from my mule deer arrow is a hundred grain broadhead with a light arrow. I'm shooting the gold tips, right? And Total arrow build weight for my mule deer is about 430 grains, shooting 285 yeah. feet a second. I potentially could take a mule deer at 62 yards if I needed to. Have no problem doing that. The the elk broadhead, I, and I like to practice the way I'm going to hunt, right? So I don't want to be taking my Cape Buffalo setup, changing it for my moose setup, changing it for my whitetail setup, changing it for my elk setup. I'm really going to have a big game setup and a medium game setup. And I'm going to use the same broadhead on an elk and a whitetail and a mule deer. That's just the way sure. I am. It's, yeah. it's going to yep. be a hundred grain broadhead because if you sit down and do the math, very simply going from 420 grains on my setup to 520 grains, I pretty much retain the same momentum, but I'm doing it 40 feet a second slower. And that sure. arc makes, we're talking eight, 10 inches more drop at 50 yards. That's sure. the difference of a hit or a miss if something ducks. And I get it, the whitetail, man, they drop like crazy. I've got it on film where they're dropping, at 22 yards, they're dropping six, eight inches. Elk, mule deer, they, they just don't, they don't have that natural reaction. It's part of the way they run. It's part of the way they live. I don't know all of it. I'm not a scientist, but I would say whatever broadhead you choose, whatever arrow setup you choose, the pointy end of the stick is the most important. And that's what everybody gets excited about. But there are these people out there that are pushing 600, 650 grain arrows. And that's fine if you're setting your bow to shoot only 20, 25 yards. But if you sit down yeah, and run the calculation, right? 
Yeah. What's your max distance with that? That's what they got to be able to do. And make it ethical, right? That's the big thing that we go, hey, I don't care if you're shooting 40, 20, 120. Like, I still want you to be ethical with whatever you're using, with whatever you're using. Make that pointy thing, do what it's supposed to do. Yes. I'm not here to sway guy up to 600. I'm not here to sway guy down to 430. I just want your build something that you can go out and be comfortable with because you're the one that's pulling or hitting that hand, pulling that trigger, you like whatever, build it so you're comfortable with it. So what does, what inspired guys to combine? Cause obviously this was a traditional machine shop that went, Hey, we can build broadheads here. I mean, what inspired them to get into the archery? Was it just the fact they were tired of the Walmart broadheads failing? I think it was Jeff Miller's the lead engineer on the VPA side. And it was his, he was a big traditional bow hunter and he saw it back in 08 where there was like just nothing really on the market that he really liked to hunt with. So he designed his own. He designed for a couple other companies and um, they're like, yeah, we love it. Let's do it. And then we saw that niche on something that we could actually build and do for our own branding and, and go that route. And it started, believe it or not, it started with the 150 grain. Actually, I take that back. It started with the 200 grain three blade. And then from then it's went up to 300 and maybe even 350 this year and down to that hundred grain that we're, we're trying to hit those light and fast guys. So the thing I like, you guys just came out with the Omega, right? The VPA Omega mm. with the lay flat patent te- technology. I take, and after doing a bunch of research, I take everybody's broadhead and I strope it on some cardboard. I might run it on a stone out of the package, right? And I'm going from nearly kitchen knife sharp to razor sharp. Sure. Most of these companies, especially the USA, and we're not going to name all of them, but there's several yeah. great companies here in the U.S. that are going to put some broadheads in a package and ship to you. And you're going to take them out and they are hunt ready sharp, but you can make them ultra hunt ready sharp. And the difference of going, and I don't know the sharp. I would raise my hand right there that says that VPA is not in that game of hunt ready sharp. That's on us. That's on VPA. And we're striving to do that next year. Hopefully by, I'm saying maybe by May, like we're putting on even more equipment to do that sharpening side. That way we know when you guys get it, it's going to come out hunt ready, razor sharp. And that's we're excited for that. And I'll say that on our own. That's my biggest feedback from guys like, man, they're not sharp. Man, they're not sharp. And I'm like, I know guys, I know you've got to put the work and the time and to do it. It's just that we have guys in the shop. that are literally hand sharpening these things and it can't be reproduced fast enough in order to get them out if we were to take them and put them on a stone and strop them and then it just takes time and that costs money right but i come down to for me for a guy like me that's going on a cape buffalo hunt or i'm going on that once in a lifetime caribou hunt or i'm going on a bull elk hunt that i do every year i like to shoot those broadheads before i leave right so even if you were to put them in the package hunt ready razor sharp i'm going to take them out and i'm going to shoot them 100%. 100%. I am yeah. going to shoot them at 20, 30, 40, 50 into my matrix target. My matrix target takes some abuse for sure, yeah. especially when I was yeah. doing all that Cape Buffalo arrow testing because we were building setups and shooting broadheads. I'm still, I'm three years deep on my uh, matrix target and this is a plug for them and we're not even talking about them, but if you want to, <laughs> if you want a foam target that's going to withstand some abuse, because guys like, I don't want to tear my target up or I don't want to shoot my broadheads. I, I get it. Go shoot, shoot some them. mechanicals and, and don't worry about it. If you want to shoot something that's going to stand up to the abuse and test and and get through a rib i'm telling you i i shoot them they really don't get that shoot up in foam but i like to take the time me personally and sit down on a stone and then go through and strope them and everybody's i don't care any any one of them that says they're razor sharp i can get a little bit sharper i can 
just get them to wear. And I test them on my arm and yeah, I have a bald arm because I bald the type. Yeah. But I want to have faith in that equipment that I've done everything I can from tuning to from paper tuning to practice to center shot to spining the correct arrows. I want to do everything I can to including going to tack and making those 120, 130, 140 yard shots. Now I'll say it right now. I do not advocate for somebody to shoot over a hundred yards on an animal. Yes, it can be done. 100% yes, guys, I can shoot a pretty decent group at 90 and 100 yards all day long. However, I don't have breathing from running up a ridge. I don't have limbs that are in the way. I don't have an animal that's in a dynamic moving situation, right? If you half that distance, you take that 120, 110, 100 yard shot and you have it to where you're 50, 55, 60, you just doubled your odds of, because it's, and then you have, it's quadruple. And then if you have it again, if you're in that 20 to 30 yard distance, I've still screwed those up. Man, I've screwed those shots up. Chip shots of no, that's no brainer. Shoot it. And it's wait, what just happened? And all sorts of failures from hitting my sleeve really hard to my release failing to hitting a branch at 12 yards that I didn't even see that was the size of my pinky. I sent a broadhead right through the middle of it and it deflected way down in the ground in front of it. And the deer looked at it and looked at me and I went to start loading another arrow and it ran away. And I was like sitting there, 27 yard shot should have been done deal. Right. But that comes to that. I'm not going to knock anybody's sharpness. Your guys, is they, they come sharp, but they can always be sharper. And you've already mentioned it. For a guy to take, it takes me 15, 20 minutes ahead. For a two blade, yeah. a three blade is going to take me a little bit longer to go through. And I don't, I'm not cutting a ton of steel off. I'm just putting that ultra fine finished edge to where you really can. It goes from sharp, lethal sharp, to razor sharp. Yeah, and I think it's one of those things that like, yeah, you said 15, 20 minutes. I think on the Omega, and don't get me wrong, I'm sharpening a lot of Omegas just because we just released it. And I want to know how to teach guys up. And like when they call me, I think on that, man, I'm down to four or five minutes because with the lay flat on it, it's super easy for a single bevel and able to like even tell guys that. Have you had a chance to play with them yet and sharpen them a little bit? I haven't. I ha- I just, I have okay. some of the, uh, okay. I don't have the Omegas yet. They're not the lay flats. And okay. when I've been sharpening the other ones, it's, the hard part is getting the tip. The, the sides are easy. It's yep. flip, flip, flip it over. And even a three blade, if they're done right, you just run it on the stone. The tip I'll tell everybody is cereal box. When your kids are done with the cereal, go snag their cereal box Cut it open. You're yeah. not going to use the printed side. You're going to use the factory cardboard side, but that's like a, it's like a 1200 grit sandpaper or maybe even higher. And you just have to, yeah. you can lay that on your kitchen table and you just, the same angle that was on the sewn and you just go back and forth half a dozen or a dozen times. And it's just breaking that ultra microscopic fine edge off to where now you've yeah. snapped a brand new clean edge. Tell me about emphasis of American machining manufacturing. Obviously, Bow Spider, we do a ton of U.S. machining manufacturing. We're really proud that this is a, a USA product. And I'm sure that was that was the crux of the story you just told me of, hey, we're tired of the Walmart stuff. So we're going to we're going to make something that withstands the test of time. And I've already proven, guys, I've shot these into center blocks, pulled it out, not even enough damage to be worried about. And I would shoot it into another animal to be a hundred percent honest. So why the USA machining? Cause I know you guys could definitely uh, make more money by machining these overseas. Yeah, definitely. And it, when it comes to USA machining, it's not only like USA, it goes into that fact of, man, 
30 families in our shop, that's just, that's important to me. Like when we know that we've got 30 guys and girls replying, like they're literally coming to work and loving what they're doing and being a part of an American-made broadhead. It's few and far between that aren't like injection molded, being made overseas. That's the other big thing. Like ours are bar stock. We're making them out of solid one piece. Yeah, from lathe to mill to lathe to hardness to Duracoat to whether it's black anodized. It's just a big process that guys don't really understand what it takes to make a solid machined one piece broadhead. I can't say enough about the American made thing. We're just happy to be able to do that for guys. And when we, that's the biggest thing when guys call in, right? It's so cool to like actually talk to somebody. It's so cool to actually like be able to spitball with you and hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And this is my average shot. This is like what I'm thinking and be able to like, yeah, that's good. But what about this? Have you thought about that? Man, we love that. There's three or four, there's three of us, Alex, me, Kellen, Jeff, like we're taking calls a lot and just training guys up. And they're like, where are you guys located at? And like Fort Wayne, Indiana, that's where these are being made at. And they love that. Guys eat that stuff up. Oh, and you're talking to a guy who used to be a big proponent of the Rage Broadhead when they were made here before they went overseas, right? And yeah, yeah I'm not trying to yeah. be mean to anybody out there in the world. I, I got to okay, play okay. nice. I got to play nice. Okay. But still, even the good old Rages back in the heyday, you weren't shooting two or three animals with them. You were bending ferals. You were bla- breaking blades. Now they wicked big holes and killed a lot of critters with that Broadhead for sure. Before that, I had Broadheads that were perpetually failing they're just imminent a couple times i pulled some walmart broadheads out of my quiver and they'd had disassembled while i'd been hiking around and i can't even i have an opportunity in front of me right now to shoot something and i'm looking at my the the very pointy end of my stick that's not very pointy trying to reassemble it so i can shoot it so i just threw that one on the ground and grab another one and this was back in the day where they had they basically had replaceable blades and a machined aluminum ferrule with grooves in there and an o-ring that held the blades forward and for whatever reason that o-ring had gotten a little loose broadhead wrench hadn't gotten tight enough whatever and i don't know it just it comes down to what i'm really excited about is if you shoot the right setup a lot of times you're going to get a pass through you can walk down there pick up that whole arrow take it home strope it real quick shoot it again the next day it's good to go and so if you're reeling in and making a little more ethical shots as long as you get a pass through man the, the hard part is, is if you center that offside shoulder it's hard to get through the offside shoulder it just is that deer goes running by or that elk goes running by or worst case i took a frontal on an antelope and he just tipped over forward and broke that shaft in half so that's oh. but guess what I'm fully happy if one arrow is one harvest. That's fine with me. You mentioned a little bit of what goes into machining a one-piece broadhead. You you talked on on it from bar stock to in the CNC to in a couple more machines and then into anodization and then into sharpening. You're handling these things half a dozen to a dozen times. Yeah, when you think about it, then you think about like in the... Think about like the packaging and sorting. Like every broadhead we sell, we say plus three grains, plus three to five grains minus none. That way guys can sharpen and resharpen them. So then we sort everything because we want, if it's a 150 grain broadhead, I want to make sure that it's, you're getting a pack that's 51.5, 151.7. Yeah. That way so you're, we know you're, you're down to a grain. Man, when I'm loading bullets. Pretty close for guys, right? And you know what a grain is. A grain is a square piece of paper. That's it. That's a grain. Like yeah. guys trick out pretty fast about that and hard. And we want to make sure that we're getting guys 
exactly what they need that way they're not and that's the other thing run out right we're testing run out because that's one big thing in a solid one piece broadhead what's your run out what's your deflection rate from when it's spinning around if that tip has a little bit of wobble in it that's going to cause bad things and we don't want that for you we want to make sure that run out's good we want to make sure their grain weight, that all the grain weight in the package is good. And also, they look clean, right? I know that's a part, but it's also a process that we have to go through to make sure everything's good. What are some of the challenges you face in the development phase of coming up with new broadheads? And how are you overcoming? You're obviously, there's hundreds of weights and grains and styles. You, you don't have three broadheads you guys are selling. You guys have dozens, almost a hundred different choices, right? They're all behind me. You guys, yeah, they're like, I don't know, this podcast. Oh, yeah, we're videoing. So you guys are going to see them like the challenge is the sharpness. I already said that one. That's the one big one for me. And I think that we'll solve that issue coming this next year. Pushing that envelope is something that I like to do as far as on like the lay flat that Daryl Barnett came out with. That He was the guy behind that. He's the engineer behind that. And we're also doing that. It came out in 200 grains, but the 125, 175, 300, 200, they should all be out within the next, I would say, probably by the first of the year. And also when guys call in, hey, have you thought about doing this? I took a call from a guy not too long ago. And he's like, hey, what about, and could you do me a special run on the Omega that's going to be out of 440 stainless? And I'm like, dude, that's, that's some high-end steel. Like, but it's one of those things that we're willing to do. If you need something, let us know. We're just throwing it on the machine when we're making all our other ones. It's something that we can actually, we can do and we like to do it also. What are some of the other challenges that we're facing? Demand. Believe it or not, it was this was our first year ever where we didn't run out of broadheads. And we're super proud about that. Not one guy that called it in the last two months said, hey, this is out of stock. And I'm like, didn't happen this year for the first time ever. I think that goes with our team out here, the engineers, the, the machinists, the guys that are putting in the time that making sure that guys are getting what they need in a timely fashion. And that's one thing I geek you know to. Was- uh, it's, isn't it a, it's finally, you guys have enough people systems in place. You've obviously forecasted correctly and said, all right, January, February, March, April, May, we're going to be turning out this many of this one so that when we hit September, October, when these things, guys are going, oh man, you know what? I'm going to get new broadheads this year and try them before next week's season. And I would not recommend that. I'd recommend June and July, you get your broadheads ordered and you spin them on and you sharpen them and you go shoot them and you resharpen them and put them in and you're ready. But if you are the guy that pulls your arrows out and I'll self self report. I've been that guy that's, Oh man, I'm going on this hunt. I'll dig through the broadhead box. Oh crap. I'm leaving in three weeks. <laughs> I'd get on the phone. I'll call you be like, Hey man, I need two packages of this. I'll yeah. leave it. Now yeah. Yeah. I don't do that on a Cape Buffalo hunt or something else, but if I'm going across town on a local hunt and I've been hunting quite a bit and the broadheads are dwindling. Yeah. It's time to try a new, new grain weight. And so for the aspiring bow hunters out there, I want to finish the, you, you and I talked about it with Bow Spider. There was season after season in August that I would field phone call after phone call. And it was just, it was a nightmare to even try and go hunting because guys are like, where's Bow Spider? Where's Bow Spider? You're out of stock. Where? I'm like, yeah, I mean, you waited till, and we learned finally internally little secret is you can no longer overnight ship Bow Spiders anywhere in the world. I will not do it. You can send me all the emails you want. <laughs> crying sob story. We have retailers across this country pull into one of those. And I'd prefer you pull into one of those mom and pop local archery shops. I don't care. I'll, I'll throw a couple out there. There's dozens of them on our website, but there's top of Utah archery in 
Logan, Utah. There's Dead on Our Tree in Boise. There's Lucky Shot in Chehalis. There's the Borac in Oregon. We have at least one dealer, if not two, in every state from Florida to Alaska. It's amazing. So don't call me at 10 p.m. on Friday saying, hey, can you overnight one of these? I leave Tuesday morning on a mule deer elk hunt. No, you're driving by two dozen dealers. Get on your phone, look at our dealer locator, find a dealer, pull in and pick up a package. And I've, we've found, this is really cool. We've found that the customers can call some of these bow shops and say, hey, I'm driving through your show up. Here you are. You're listed as a dealer for this product, whether it's VPA, bow spider, Rocky Mountain hunting calls. I don't care what it is. If you've forgotten a piece of product, they will take your card over the phone. They will put the receipt in a bag. They'll have a spot outside the building somewhere that they'll tell you, hey, this trailer or this mailbox or this stone lifted up it's fake and your receipt and your product will be laying under it so you can pull in at 10 o'clock at night they've been closed and pick up that last minute item or product and i've had lots of customers that's so amazing i've even heard of guys like coming with their bows or hey do you have any of our heads and they'll be like yeah like bring it in they're still the shop's still open they're like hey i have these heads but i need a little tuning before i'm going on this hunt let's and this is one they're on their trip and they're like hey whether it got dinged in shipping or their bows didn't make it there or whatever, but it's so cool. Those mom and pop brick and mortar, like bow shops out there, they do more for us than anybody. Like it's amazing. Oh. I can't give them enough credit. I'll be honest with you. We pulled into uh Kenai, Alaska and went into one of our dealers there, their shop and my bow, for whatever reason, I, I paper tuned it at the house. It flew, a, I paper tuned it here put it in a case, flew up there, paper tune. It was not shooting right. We went in there and yeah. we spent, he spent an hour. We, we put it on the drawboard, we re-paper tuned it. And I, I mean, it was not shooting good at 40 yards. It just was not. This is the bow I shot all tack shooting just fine. And guess what? This was day one of the hunt. He had my bow back to paper tune, back to shooting great at 40, 50 yards for a moose hunt. I spent 12 days with my dad in wet Alaska looking for a moose and we found a few cows, never found a, a legal bull, which is okay. I, I had a great trip. Yeah, it is okay. It's about the journey, right? You said that. It's about the journey. But those mom and pop bow shops that are staying open three days before season and tying in peeps or putting on rest, try not to be that guy. But if you are that guy or heaven forbid you've had a, an issue, I know Lance with Top of Utah Archery had two or three guys blow up bows on hunts, during hunts, right the day before season and roll in there. And he's like, you know what? We'll take your accessories off. We'll throw it on this bow. We'll order the parts for your bow. Go hunt, have fun when you're, when you get, you're not going to get that kind of service from a big box store. It's just not going to happen. He's not going to pull his personal bow off the shelf and go, take it, go hunt. It's ready to go. When your season's over, bring it back. So definitely support those guys. Yes. That's amazing. You're never going to get that from the other places. So when you do find that, and I I just want to throw this out there is, Personally, we at Bow Spider raised our price above what the retailers are supposed to be selling it for. Because I hate seeing people go into the store, look at a product, look on their phone and go, oh, I can save $3 on the website. I'm just going to order it and ship at Amazon for free to my house and save $3. You got to realize that $3 
is what's putting a kid to college or sending them to swim soccer lessons. That that bow shop is surviving on five to ten percent yep. profit margins. They're not making fifty or hundred points, right? When so you as the consumer, you can go to any one of our bow shops, any, any one of our bow shops, and they will be lower than my website all day long. Yep, and all we did long. that because I'm driving traffic back to those bow shops that we need, and obviously they they do need a shot in the arm because we do have this Amazon web crazy. I'll just order it and cut out the middleman. And you got to realize that's okay when you're talking furnace parts. That's okay when you're talking yeah. tennis shoes. I'm, I don't feel too bad that I don't go to Reebok and buy shoes anymore. I buy them on Amazon. I'm guilty right here. David's <laughs> guilty. I shop around. Oh, Amazon's got them. I got a new pair of tennis shoes for trade show season. But when it comes and to my bow. For, for yeah, I was just going to say, for, I'll own that. Like for us at VPA, yeah, we're on Amazon. Yeah, I'm on eBay. But I control that, and that price is always higher than what you're going to get at a bow shop. I yep. do that because there's no other solid one-piece broadhead. Go look for one on Amazon besides ours that's machined out of one piece. Like, you're not going to find it. And we want to help guys out. that If they've got an Amazon distribution right beside them, that's fine. I get that. But I'm still getting so many more expensive than what you're going to get at a bow shop all day long. And how cool all is it long. when you get either email or in person or social media, somebody sends you a picture or brings a picture and has harvested their first or their biggest or their best with your product. And they're beaming, right? We have it all the time with Bow Spider of, ah, I got this bowl because of my Bow Spider. It just makes me feel, it just, it it's makes a, it feel worth it. No, it's not only that, but the relationships that you get out of it. When you get a, when you get a photo on your phone of a guy that shot, that dropped the bowl elk, his first one ever, it's just amazing. Or the mule deer or the water buffalo or you name it. I never get tired of that. I will never get tired of that. It just, it lifts my heart up. It lifts my spirit up. It's man, I love it. I do a I little, I do a little bit of rifle hunting. I really don't care what bullets in there. I really, I'm not that picky about caliber. The last time I was in Africa and we had, we didn't have to, but we needed to dispatch a Cape Buffalo that the broadhead didn't perform on. I didn't care what bullet I shot. I didn't care what caliber. I didn't care who made the rifle. I'm not a rifle hunter. I will fill freezers and fill tags. I'm not, by no means am I opposed to it. I got the rifle out at the moment and I got a couple of youth tags we're trying to fill and help my wife and help some neighbors. And I still have an elk tag in my pocket. I'll probably end up using a rifle. But when it comes to my bow, when it comes to my arrows, that's my baby. And I am super meticulous and super picky. And I spend, I'll shoot the rifle three shots one at 100 and two at 300, make sure it's good to go and, and we're gone, right? I shoot my bow every weekend at TAC. Every weekend, every day, every... It's just, it's fun. That's what it was down to. It's fun to do it. It's what I would say is the pursuit of the perfect arrow flight is yoga and golf for men. That's what it is. You wrap yoga and golf because you're getting that physical outdoor hiking and you've got to have that focus more so than golf ever will have. And it's way more lethal than golf. You you don't yell four when you shoot your bow because there's no getting out of the way. If you're in the way, you're just, you're going to get skewered. You're right. I love that analogy. It's great. It's great. I might start using that a little bit. You can, you can steal it because it's a hundred percent. I've heard all the, I've, Joe Rogan said the best thing you can do as an archer is yoga. And I'm like, yeah, I'll do a little calisthenics in the morning. Maybe some weight training, strength training because elk hunting is dang. There was days we did 12 hour hikes starting at daylight and we just, 
just slowly move through country, take a nap midday, and then slowly move through country till dark. And you're on your feet moving at elevation with, thankfully I had stock, but we'd tie the stock up and we're still running around with 25 pounds in a day pack with... Basically, it's got a coat and water. I don't understand why it weighs so much all the time, but got to have a kill kit, got to have a headlight, got to have some of these things. And we discussed that on the last podcast of what's in your backpack. What would you tell the aspiring bow hunter? Give them just a little bit of advice for kind of a, I mean, we've discussed some of the niche and you guys have 70 options. I'm just going to lay it out there. Hey, this is my first year bow hunting. I've got three white tail doe tags in my pocket. I've got access to 40 acres of my grandpa's back cornfield. It's going to be mine. I want to go shoot three deer, potentially a buck. What would be some broadhead advice? You don't got to give them make, model, weight, grain, but what would be some advice you would say somebody that's, say it's June and they're thinking about going out October to slay a few deer? First question I would ask them, I want to know a little bit about the bow. I want to know a little bit about the draw length. I want to know a little bit about their arrow and what they're thinking, what they're going to build. Just because I don't want to leak, and then my always last question is, if they're hunting around Indiana here, I know that they're going to be shooting probably max at 40, probably max at 40. If they might be taking that 50, but a new guy is probably going to be max at 40. I just want to have that confidence and have make sure he has that confidence that he's good to go as far as on his weight, what he's pulling back, and then I'll be, and then I'll probably steer him. I always steer guys, believe it or not, towards a 125 grain head. And I don't know why, but that's my, I think it's my go-to for the single fact that it's not super 150 is getting up there. And having, believe it or not, our number one seller is the three blade 150. It is. It's still over every single bevel, over every, it's just that tried and true 150 grain is three blades the number one seller. But I always tend to go 125. For the single fact that you can build an arrow around depending upon how if they're using man if they're doing half outs full outs and like depending upon the weight up front i want to make sure that they're happy and comfortable with the tuning side of it they're going to have to do a little bit of that work right and if they're a first year guy they're going to be going to a bow shop and they're going to be asking those questions like hey what's tuning how does that work what does the paper look like what's knock up what's my rotation if i give them a single bevel that just opens up their head what's that What's that rotation? So I keep it three blade 125 for a new guy. Does that answer your question? It does. No, that, that's awesome. That gives somebody a place to start. If they're going to go pick up a, a dozen gold tip hunter pre-fletched and they've bought a package bow from any of the manufacturers, not a flagship, but they just bought a pre-packaged, yep. probably whisker biscuit, True Glow. If they've just gone in and bought yeah. themselves a, a prepackaged and they bought a, a half dozen pre-fledged arrows, throw on a 125 grain three blade, make sure it shoots at 20, 30, and 40, and, and go have fun. Yeah. Yep. And they're going to kill critters with that. And I, I always get them. The, the big thing is that I, the thumpers, right? That's something we don't talk about a lot on shows and stuff is I got I get more fun out of thumpers than anything. Killing critters, what rabbits, squirrels, like... They're so much fun. Like, I have a blast with thumpers. The, the best way to start is put a small gra- game head on an arrow and go shoot rotten stumps. That's what I did as a kid. Yeah. I just walk around. Yeah, it was right. grouse. It was rabbits. It was, hey, see that stump over there at 27? Bam. If that was a deer's and And I have a blast doing that. And the thing I would say for that aspiring new bow hunter is, okay, you bought a five pin or a seven pin bow sight you've dialed it at 20, 30, and 40. All of a sudden, there's a bull elk standing at 67. Just because you have a pin doesn't mean that the arrow is going to get there, right? And I'd say the same thing for a rifle, right? I've got a Leopold CDS custom dial on my OT6. 
it's miraculous at three and 400 yards. You just twist it to 330, 320, sure. 400, put the crosshairs on, pull trigger. It goes out to 770 on the dial. The bullets become unstable in flight at about 650 because I'm shooting with the bullets I'm shooting. They're lighter bullets, they're a flatter bullet, but they go subsonic somewhere in the 650, 670 range. And my group goes from basketball to washing machine. Right. So just because you have that 70 yard pin on your bow or you have that 700 yard notch on your rifle, just reel the distance in a little bit. Keep it. Yeah. Set those expectations realistic. And 400 yards with my rifle. Done deal. 40 yards with my bow. Done deal. 800 yards with the rifle. 80 yards with the bow. Not so much a done deal. It's a maybe not. And I don't like maybes or maybe nots. And I get that for me at 80 yards when I'm thinking, I just get nervous myself, right? When I think I've got, I can make that shot. I just get nervous myself and it's not worth it. Oh, I was on Kodiak, like a, a mountain goat with a rifle, the last full hunt day of an 18 day trip. And 15 minutes before that, I was at 77 yards on a bedded goat and the wind was just whipping. And I just, I ranged him and I looked at the country and I'm like, I can cut 15 yards off of this and then I'm going to make the shot. We moved up there. They caught movement, something. We were in full white suits. I had a decoy they i'd let them see it a little bit and they just decided to herd up to my i thought they were still to the left they were all at 35 40 yards but grouped up in a group of 15 there was no shot i was getting ready to draw a bow back and take a shot and you can see here on the film my i'm done with this and we're talking that hunt is it's more of a mental than anything it's obviously a huge physical challenge Kodiak is not easy by any means in the fall. It's wet, it's thick, it's dense. The film makes it, the thing that makes me the most mad about that film is it makes it look like it was a pleasant walk in in (laughs) New York Central Park on a sunny day. I poured water out of my boots every day. Start the morning off at 54. 55, 52 degrees. So it's not cold, but it's not warm. It's wet and you're just in the clouds and the fog. And yeah, and you can day two, if you look, we pulled only the GoPro out and you can see the wind and the rain and the moisture on the go. That was normal days. The big cameras, the the HD cameras only came out when the sun was shining and we'd spend two or three days poking (laughs) around in the rain and fog to get that opportunity. So I'll let you in a little insight of filming those hunts is we were there 20 days, right? We captured 30 hours of footage on cameras. So it was nice for two of the 20 days. And we edited that 30 hours of footage down to 30 minutes. So a minute an hour is pretty much on YouTube, one minute of an hour of footage. And the camera was on basically, you know, an hour and a half a day. Sure. Yeah. Wow. So there's 20, wow. 22 hours of stuff that didn't even get captured on camera a day. That's crazy. Yeah. So it's, it's definitely, man, filming hunts is not, I am not opposed. Anybody that wants to go do it, start with a whitetail hunt in a tree stand for sure. hundred percent. And if you want to get good at it, there's a lot of people that are better than me, but it's, it's not for the faint of heart when when you got a dead battery or you've got the shot and the cameraman doesn't and you're like, Hey, he needs to move. And then he's exposed. And then the animal's gone. That's the hardest thing about filming DIY. It's heartbreaking. Oh yeah. So that that leads me to my next question for you specifically. What's your favorite animal to hunt and why? Uh, When it comes down to it, it's definitely going to be whitetail. It's home for me, right? It's Midwest, Indiana, cool mornings, getting up early getting ready to be going out. There's just something about me that I love. 
Or I say that, yeah, we're a machine shot, right? And everybody gets up early. That's just part of me. Getting up early is just part of me. I love that. I love getting up. I love going out. I love sitting in a stand. Do you prefer not, mornings or evenings? Mornings all day long. Mornings all day long. I love that fact of watching the sun come up, just a bright new day. Spend that time, that quiet time is super special to me. I'm not much of a, I'm not, I've never saddle hunted. I've never done that. I'd love to get into that. I've always been a tree stand guy, some rednecks and stuff like that. But yeah, I think all day long, white tail and early mornings is where my go-to is. And don't get me wrong. Like it's one o'clock, one o'clock in Indiana. And don't get me wrong. In two hours, I'm heading to the stand because it's cooled off and I am going to evening hunt, but still, that's where I'm at. No, I'm the same way as I used to. I, I've probably been way more successful on evenings on elk than I have mornings. But there's a period every morning right as the sun's rising, right before the birds and squirrels wake up, right before the wind kicks up, that it's just absolutely still almost every morning doesn't matter where I am and you're sitting there and there's just this anticipation of what is the new day going to bring and then then you start hearing the birds and squirrels I don't care what you're on then you first see the first mountain goat or, or the first bugle or a few does flicker tail and and it gets lighter and it's just you, you you're like hey man I got a whole day full of promise evening sits while I've been it's probably 70 30 I've harvested 70 percent of my critters in the evening and 30 in the morning I I just I don't know why just do but I, I prefer to hunt mornings evenings there's yeah. always this sense of desperation that I'm always checking the time oh we got 23 minutes of light and oh can we get over the saddle and it, it's always you're so right it's always rushed you're so right. It's there's Keep this going. finality to hey the day's over and we got to capitalize and it's rushed versus in the morning I'm like ah oh, they're not right here okay we'll go poke around and find a different spot there might be some around the next corner and it's just for me especially hunting grizzly bear country I'd rather work up a bull elk all day during the daylight get him hung and hike out in the day but of the half dozen big bulls I've got four of them have been midnight or 4 a.m. adventures until we're back to somewhere warm, safe, and secure. So I, I don't know. That, that, that'll give you some insight in big bucks and big bulls. You kill right that last five minutes of light, and then you're stuck working out in the dark. You're stuck. You're just stuck. And, yep. I do. I, I will give you whitetail boys credit. I've been coming to Missouri two years in a row now. I'm going to probably just end up going again. Why? Missouri is, I'm going to throw them under the bus. You can show up by a tag and go hunt if you can get some private land access, pay for something, right? It was my first, I was their opener this year and I saw a ton of does. I saw a nice wide eight at D2 yard that I should have taken. It was my second set and I got picky for the first time and that's a regret. I got picky and, and it happens where you just I just got picky and I knew I shouldn't have. And, but for the case, like you said, Missouri, it's great. Like it's a great place to go. It's super, it's super, what's, what's that word I'm looking for? It's, it's not going to break the bank. If you can find a guy, people are super down to earth there. Like find a guy, scope out a property. It's a great little hunting area that I think it's a gem. Keep going on your. Yeah. I, I went on my first true whitetail tree stand self climber sit on some private land access and went into a new part of the farm nobody had been hunting for a while they just leased this new ground and climbed a tree and we're talking 
300 yards behind the old dilapidated farmhouse, a couple apple trees in the backyard, and I'm down in the little Cooley Creek bottom, found the first cottonwood. It was dead and wide at about 12 feet. So I stretched that cable out as big as it could go on that self-climber, and I climbed up. My feet were at 12 feet off the ground. You could reach over pretty much slam dunk a basketball. I was wearing my camo and had my bow spider on my backpack, so my bow's hanging on a spot, and my bow bow spider's on there. Arrow's all knocked up. It's all ready to go, and I had moved the post from the bottom to the top third of the bow. Been told there was about a 180 in there, and this buck comes over the ridge 50 minutes before dark. The sun's just below the ridge, but it's still a half hour away from sunset, but he's backlit with the sun, and the sun's gleaning off his antlers as he's skylined, and my heart went in my throat, and he made a zigzag pattern right to the old little fruit tree that was underneath me, and he's sitting there licking on it, and he's at 12 yards. He's, and I got a lane left and a lane right. That's 30 yards and 30. He goes left or right. He's dead, right? But he's sitting there and he spent a minute and a half licking that branch on the other side of this little tiny fruit tree, but I can't shoot through it, right? And I'm sitting there. I remember my arrows knocked, my bow's ready, my release is clipped up, and I unclipped my release and went to reach in my pocket to get the phone to take a picture. And my hand got about three inches away from the string, and I went, you know what? He's going to catch movement or see something, or I'm going to drop the dang phone on it. I'm like, I'll take a picture after he's dead. I clipped my string back up. 20 seconds later, he decided to go left. I didn't even let him get all the way out of the branches. There was a basketball size opening in the branches of that tree, and I made a great long heart shot, full exit. And oh, that's amazing. He's a 147, 150 deer. He's a, he's a beautiful whitetail. And to have him at yeah. 12 yards licking, and I'm just like, oh, okay, calm down. I, I don't get excited like that with elk anymore. I get excited after one's down, but it's go time, right? With whitetails, you get way too much time of, with an elk, you're, you're getting a little bugle, little audio, you're moving through, all of a sudden you pop around a corner, it's go time. You need to make a shot. They're yeah. looking at you. They know you're there. They're there. It's range, draw, ready, aim, fire, right? Okay. With, yeah. with whitetails, yeah. it's like rattle, listen, oh, here's something coming. Oh, it's still coming. Okay, look at the, oh, it's getting bigger. It's still coming. Oh, and, and you get too much time to get rattled. So I understand the whitetail. I have pictures of a 180 buck that was the next year on a creek bottom, and he was 60 yards, and there was a doe at 35 just blowing at me. I'd got down, wind was just whipping, leaves rattling everywhere, and I'm just creeping, stalking like I do elk. And I... Believe it or not, you can spot and stalk whitetail, but you got to be sneaky. You got to be sneaky. And you better not do it on a property with four or five other guys hanging in a stand because they might just shoot you. But my ninja level isn't quite where David's is at. So that's just where it's at. I'm just not ninja like you are. So heel toe. Put your foot out, heel first, slowly put your foot down to your, and then the next foot. (laughs) You you can't just stomp around like a big old buffoon. You got to. You gotta be. You can't just. Oh, here I am. I'm going. That's why. And and I get it. And it's. I I would say you're, you're going to be successful on a, a a good elk hunter will be successful on a quarter of their whitetail stocks. Where a good elk hunter is going to be successful on half of their elk stocks. They those whitetail are just they're just a little more finicky, is what I would say. Elk are a little more brazen and a little more, you can get away with more movement and you can cover your movement with a cow call and the elk will just go back to his normal business or he might come at you. You're not getting away with that with a whitetail. You already told me what species and I can sympathize, but I can't empathize. Sorry, I'm, I'm an elk man. Okay. So 
what's anything new and exciting for VPA coming in the future that you can tell us about? Yeah, I told like a little bit of that, like the, that lay flat, like we're doing it. Like the, the 125s are at heat treat right now. I just need to get it back and put them through some hog shoulders. I always test things through hog shoulders just to make sure that you and I talked about that, just the chatter that you get on a head. If that bevel's not right, I want to make sure that's all good. So I'm hoping, and it's not going to really be for this year. I hope, and that's the other thing. Hopefully guys aren't getting their heads for this year and just going to put them on a pack, like do that work, right? They'll probably probably be for next year. So your advice is stick stick with the heads that you're shooting that have been working for for this season because it's it's started, it's opened. It's in the thick of it, right? And I don't want guys... My biggest fears are going to come to me and be like, hey, I want to switch up and redo everything. I'm like, man, that takes some work. That takes some, you got to get down and get in the weeds and and do that. And if guy's got the time, he's willing to do that. Let's roll with it. Let's go. I'll help you out. I'll get you set up with whatever you need. But on that same side of things, if you're killing critters with whatever, keep killing critters with it. Don't change things up just because it's the new fad. I want guys to be ready to go with what they're hunting with and be more ethical with it. 100%. 100%. So I appreciate we're that. On, we're on whole, yeah, we're working on the whole sharpening thing. What else is new? So Man, are, there some, are there some one-piece single broadheads designs that tend to fly better than others? Specifically, we're not talking weights. We're not talking specific arrow builds. I'm talking if we took three 100-grain broadheads, say a double bevel, say a single bevel, say a three-blade, right? Is inherently yep. one going to be more stable and fly better than the others? Or are they all out of a properly spine-tuned arrow and bow going to fly similar? I get better groups out of a single bell, believe it or not. I do. And I think that's if everything's properly tuned and good to go, I'm doing better sighting in with a single bevel all day long. I've heard guys, I've heard three blades are going to take a little bit more. And then the other one is a double bevel. Kind of that same profile, like as a single bevel, like two blade or single bevel, double bevel, and then Free blade is what I would compare as far as easiest to hardest to get them sighted in and ready to go. So, in my opinion, other guys will be like, I have better luck with the three blades. I'm like, all right, good for you. It's all who you're talking to on stuff like that. And you got to get into fletching and you got to get into spine and arrow length. And are we talking, we're not talking Jimmy Bob over there that hasn't ever paper tuned his bow and go, oh, those don't shoot well and put the rages back on. Of course, the rages are going to fly better out of an untuned bow than any big broadhead. Why? That arrow isn't flying straight to begin with, but you're putting a expandable broadhead that that has zero inflection of any kind of steerage, right? Exactly. Exactly. You're right at it. That's a great way to say it. But you hit a big moose rib with a rage and yeah, it's just aluminum ferrule expandable broadhead is not going to do much. You hit a good rib bone with, and I'm not talking white tails. Sorry. Sorry guys. Your 300 pound white tail are not armored. A 2000 pound Cape Buff (laughs) pound Yukon moose. Yeah. They're a little more armored than some of the others. Even elk, while they are heavy and tough, and you do need to shoot good equipment, but I'll say this, I've said it before on the podcast, I took my dad to Africa when I went Cape Buffalo hunting, and you guys can watch him on the films, but it comes down to, he shot a, he shot his Eland, which is a 2,000 pound animal, at 27 yards with a 55 pound bow, and buried it to the fletchings. So the point is, very simply, you don't have to have... 85 pound limbs and shoot a 650 grain arrow if you're shooting the correct equipment that's paper tuned and your your spine aligned and you've got a spin tested broadhead that's sharp 
you're going to penetrate any deer or elk just fine. We had a little power issue. We'll edit that out. We're getting down here to the end, and that's. I'm glad you gave some insight onto beginners getting into it. Obviously, once you get into it, guys need to take these things and go shoot it and test and tune. But I will tell you, 77 choices makes it hard to be like, ah, do I go with the 125s or the 150s? Do I go with this one or that one? And I, I don't know. And it, it's pretty specific. I, I still don't hate the Grim Reapers. I don't hate Iron Wills. By no means do I hate Annihilator or a dozen other companies. I'm not saying out here that this they is... They make great broadheads, right? They all are great broadheads. There's nothing wrong with them. But you got to start with Definitely. a paper tune bow. You need to start with premium shafts. If you, Are we talking, Easton made some great aluminum arrows, but I'll guarantee you my carbon arrows are going to kick aluminum arrows butts every day of the week. You flex an aluminum arrow once, it's not straight anymore. Spin test it. Don't read what's on the package. <laughs> Don't read what's on social media. Don't listen to the, the, the latest influencer tell you how this is the greatest thing since sliced bread. Put them on a spin tester. And spin test the things. Uh, yep. You don't have to go as far as me and, and stick them in cinder blocks, especially if you're shooting whitetails. You just don't need to. But you also, the the Kool-Aid of, hey, you got to have a 700 grain arrow to, to kill a 220 pound whitetail. If you want to, great, sure. But I'll tell you what. If you do the math, sit down and, and let science, because this is a little bit of propulsion science. I'm not going to say rocket science, but it is aerospace propulsion science. There are some calculations you can run. And what I found very interesting is I bought some 25 grain outsert kind of collar spacers to, to stack weight, so to speak. The difference between 75, 100, and 125 grains, it's eight feet a second one way or the other. You're 298, you're 290, or you're 282. You're, yeah. At 30 years, at 30 yards, just eh, you're a couple inches high, a couple inches low. We're talking two inches high, two inches low. It's yeah. it's a hill of being a difference. Oh, I'm shooting 93 grains and I'm shooting 115 grain. I'm shooting one set. Yeah. Now, when we start talking 200, 250s, 300s, double carbon shafts to where you're you're doing the fat eliminator stuff and you're getting into bishop yeah. archery stuff and but that's for hell. Guys, I seriously, honestly shot a North American bison in 2007 with my Z7 mag that somebody on social media the other day said that I wasn't credible because I was walking around with a 2008 bow. And I'll tell you right now, I'll take that 2008 bow and put it up against your new one and we'll stand out here in my yard and pop balloons and see who comes out on top. Very long. All day long. Shoot what you're comfortable long. with. That's what you're saying. Shoot what you're comfortable with. Get, get efficient and comfortable with the equipment. Quit tearing people down because, and we were, for that social media video it was june and we were outside i was in camo at 103 degrees filming and we were filming showing saddle hunting so my quiver is hanging up in the tree i'd come down left my quiver in the tree came down with my bow and showed how to use it right and it just that section of the video floats that's what we use in social media there's nine guys that comment this guy all dressed up with no arrows and nowhere to go and i'm like yeah and i'm yelling at a camera 10 feet away we're really hunting today guys you just Get out of here. I'm like, these keyboard warrior trolls, half of them, Mike Tyson said it the best. Social media is making everybody way too comfortable saying stuff that get them punched in the mouth. I'm just yep. sitting here reading these comments, guys. I do. I, I pretty much anymore. I post and I bounce. I drop whatever yep. something pertinent. I'm like, and I'm gone. You guys can have at it. I don't really care. I'm back in the woods chasing another big bull elk. And I have enough of them on the wall that... 
I'm happy. It doesn't really matter, right? Like you said it well there when you said, I don't look at them. I don't look at the post. I don't look at what people are saying. I don't. There's enough guys that we're working with. And the same thing with you with both spider lit. Love our product and love to shoot it and are successful with it. So, and have been using it since read your comment. Yep. I'm not going to, you're not worth the time. And half the time, I don't, that one guy commenting, this guy walking around with a circa 2008 bow and i'm like yeah and there's a pile of critters that fell to that bow and that's the one we had to use to film in, and it's fine what i was going to say was with that bison i was shooting a 425 or 430 grain setup broadheads i was shooting a three blade replaceable blade design hell i'll say it i was shooting muzzies i shot some muzzies and before that i shot yeah. interlocks i hit that bull at 38 yards with a liver kind of low gut shot he ran out to 56 yards. I circled around. We paralleled each other for 100 yards. I ran. I put a high lung shot pass through at 55 or 56 yards with a 70 pound Z7 mag solo cam with a 420 grain arrow. And that's again a 14, 1500 pound animal. As a bison, yeah. we're not talking 200 pound whitetail here, guys. So it comes down to shoot what you're comfortable with, but be able to justify why you're using it not just because the latest who and who said that you need to use it you guys have 77 options on the shelf there i'm quite certain from squirrels <laughs> to elephants you have something that's going to be that's going to squirrels <laughs> to elephants you've got it well, there's a bunch of tuning stuff there's a bunch of videos get out there go check it out i'm not going to pick your brain on it is there anything else you want to say about what you guys do and why you're doing it and stuff coming up? Just that we're here to, man, with a blue collar broadhead, I'll say that. You can use these heads over and over, and David did a great job saying that, over and over and just resharp them. We're ethical, and we lean hard into integrity. That's what we're about. If we say we're going to do it, we're going to do it. If I say I'm going to get you something, it's going to happen. My integrity, I lean heavy that way, something that's uh, been pounded into me. And yeah, and also that we wouldn't be here without God and what he's done for us and Jesus. That's why we're here. That's important to us here. No, that's the same for Bow Spider is it's on our packaging. Yep. And we've talked about that on the podcast a lot. And it's you cannot go sit out in his creation on a morning and watch the sun come up and go, oh, yeah, this is all just happenstance. And I challenge you to if you don't have a relationship with your Savior and you don't know creation go spend a couple days unplug from the cell phone get off the keyboard and quit being a keyboard warrior and tearing somebody else's product idea company down and go out and spend a few days i just spent two weeks in a tp it you should be because it's awesome and people should do it and i will get into it i hate four and five day hunts i absolutely hate guided five day hunts okay hate them okay Okay. What's that time? My yeah. advice is anybody that draws a tag out west, you're going on your first elk hunt. Don't take off work Friday night and be planning on coming home the following Sunday, right? Because you got two days drive time, you got a day to acclimate. You're down to a four day hunt. That's eight opportunities. That's it. And they go by yeah. way fast. Now, if you're going to go, I highly recommend outfitters know the country, they know the area, they know the habits of the elk. But if you're going during the full week, where the moon's full the whole that whole week four days before you got there they were screaming four days after you leave they're gonna start poking around and screaming the mornings and evenings again not all day but that week you're there for the full moon 
good luck have fun yep, and yep. you get weather roll in and i'm talking weather you get a heat wave roll through when it had been cool and all of a sudden it's hot yeah no what you want to look at what you want to see and so minimally seven day hunts put travel time on top of that if you're going on a western hunt if you're going to alaska alaska if you're going on a seven eight day hunt you better book 10 days of out of work and i know as a past blue collar guy I know how much time it is and how hard it is to take when you're working a job that you get two or three weeks of vacation and you're, you turn to your wife with little kids and say, I'm taking the majority of my vacation. I'm going out of state with my bros to go hunt this species. You get some sideways yeah. glances, right? But back to Wayne Endicott, there's only so many Septembers in a man's life. And <laughs> there's some gray appearing in David's big old beard over here. So also in Ryan. Yeah, I've yeah. got that too. Yeah. And getting a little bit longer in the tooth and it's back to the Toby Keith. I'm I'm as good once as I once was, but only once. I I'm not getting in fights and I'm not going crazy and I'm I'm done with the twenty four hour elk extravaganza. If if you haven't ever done that in your life, Ryan, it's to leave the tent at four AM, hike all day, take your sack lunch with you, sleep under a tree, early evening get on the elk, late evening kill an elk. And then have to process, butcher, move, and hang. We're not even talking pack, just hang the elk. Yeah. By the time we leave carcass kill site is the next day, midnight, one o'clock in the morning. And then you got a two, three hour hike to the trailhead. And then you're riding back to camp. We've a couple times pulled back into camp at 445, five in the morning and looked around the other guys and they're still in their campers sleep. And we're like, we've got a day. Did they even get out and go hunt or they just stay in the campers? But it's to, to lay down and have breakfast and lay down and go to sleep at five o'clock in the morning after not all night. It's a, it's an experience. I think everybody should do at least once I've done it. Mountain goat trips, done it on doll sheep trips, done it at, on elk trips. And like I told you, I'm getting to the point now, you know, a couple nights ago, I passed a bull up 10 minutes for, I mean, it was seven twenty three was legal shooting end of legal shooting light. And it was seven sixteen. There was a small six, in front of me under 200 yards and I looked at it and I looked at this and went you know it's not my bull could I do it yep do I want to be here butchered all night I went if if he was a big bull wouldn't have been a thought Ryan it'd been thump and done when it was a, a bull smaller than I've harvested with the bow I went yeah let's keep going now I will tell you here is something that's very intriguing because David's really not a trophy hunter I'm a hunter I like to harvest stuff, but when the freezers start to get full and I may or may not have three of them, David's, uh, <laughs> David's barometer for antler size increases as the freezers get full, the bigger the animals got to be. And the same thing works for distance from trailheads and it should be inverse, right? So what I'm saying is under a mile from the trailhead is cow calf spike area, right? Oh, it's a calf. Okay. It was right. Now you get from one mile to three mile in, then it's small bull territory. Past three miles, it better be a huge bull or we're not shooting it, right? What you should flip that on its head is under a mile from the truck should be big bulls, plus a mile should be small bulls, plus three miles from the truck should be only cows, calves, because it's less weight to pack out. But for some reason, it's the other way. And what it comes down to is if I'm going to spend six miles one way trip on minimum of three trips with you and I on an elk, you can do it in two, but not that kind of distance. It yeah. better be a big yeah. bull. It better be worth remembering, not. Oh, I punched a cow up here in a meadow. You could have done that at the truck, buddy. I wish you all the best of luck this season. I will be doing some Asian water buffalo hunting in the near future. 
I never, I haven't booked it. If any listeners out there have some people that have done it that have some info, David would really like to know about it. And I told you, I shot the North American bison in 17, shot the Cape in, what was that, 22? Yeah, that would have been May of 22. And so the trifectas, the Asian, got to go to Australia and go chase down a, go chase down an Asian with the bow. So I'll be looking really hard in that 200, 250, be doing some more testing, be getting, I I don't know, single, double, single. It's going to be tough. It won't be three blade. I guarantee that it's going to be a two blade. We're going to look really close at this new lay flat technology for sure. I'm sure there'll be some showing up in your mailbox soon. I will stick them in some cinder blocks for everybody and I'll make sure that gets posted up because, man, it's pretty amazing with this new insert, outsert collar technology. You, I don't care if it's aluminum, steel, or titanium. If you put a collar on a carbon arrow and it's spined correctly and it's lined up. It's amazing. It's amazing. Like It's flat out amazing what you can do with that broadhead and with that arrow. I don't know yeah. if I'd shoot an engine block. I don't know if I'd shoot like two inch thick steel, but I guarantee a cinder block down on anything from a cinder block low, that broadhead's just going to bury in there and yeah, good luck getting it back out. That's what, that's my problem is getting them back out. Yeah. You got to take everything apart and your pliers and it's a pain in the butt. <laughs> yeah. So I wouldn't recommend going out there. You don't have to go test these broadheads in cinder blocks guys, but they will withstand it. Ryan, thanks for coming on. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, my pleasure. I love doing it. I love doing it. And man, I'm excited already for the, like you said earlier, like that push from that tax season shows and stuff like that. This is our hunting time, but come to those events, guys. Like if you've never been to a tax event, we're both there. We're both at most of them. We'd love to chat and they're just good to get out in that time and meet with guys, shoot your bow, shoot at far targets. It's a blast. So don't forget that. It's a good time. And thanks again for letting me be here with you. I think that's, that is probably your best piece of advice for the aspiring hunters is get your bow out and grab a buddy or two, go to tack. Hell, you can take a tent and find somewhere close. You don't have to, yeah. you don't have to hotel it. You don't have to wine and dine it and go to five-star restaurants. You can take your cooler, your peanut butter and jellies. And a lot of guys show up with a canvas cutter or a trailer or a canopy or a sleeping bag. Hell, i drug my trailer all over the damn country this last year. I don't even want to tell you how many miles. I I did all but Colorado and Texas tax and it was a haul, sir, but I enjoy them. I wouldn't be going and meeting these people and showing the product and I love shooting them. I'll tell you what, and you'll notice David's booth closed on Sundays. He's out shooting his boat. Why? I'll tell everybody why. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Specifically in regards to tack, if I, David, Drive all day, Tuesday, Wednesday, set up Thursday, work a booth Friday, Saturday, Sunday, tear it down Sunday night, drive all day Monday, Tuesday to the new location, take half a Wednesday off, set up Wednesday slash Thursday, and then do it again and again. I get real burnout, right? It's just, Mm -hmm. it's wash, rinse, repeat, wash, rinse, repeat. However, if I take those Sunday mornings off and go shoot a course and shoot my bow and hang out, I look at it this way. Guys have had all weekend to stop by the bow spider booth and check it out and share their stories. I got to shoot my bow too. It's like taking a fat kid to a candy store and saying, no, you don't get any candy. I I need to shoot my bow. (laughs) Great. I love it. We look forward to seeing you at a couple of these tacks, but definitely if you're new aspiring bow hunter, 
go shoot a, a total archery challenge and it'll it really is the best prep for western hunt you get hiking you get dynamic shots can you shoot the sitka course and be successful can you shoot the knock-on course and be successful and i gave you my biggest piece of advice is yeah there's some 130 120 118s out there that's not realistic maybe on a caribou hunt i'll stretch it past that 60 number way out in the tundra in the flats but that's about it. So we've covered what's coming new in the future, guys. I'm really thankful you came on. Go get some time in the stand. Enjoy the mornings. Watch them squirrels and, and smack a big deer for me, would you? Will do. I'll send you the photo. Thanks again for the time. I appreciate it. Thanks again for listening to the Radcast Outdoors podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed the show. If so, please go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this podcast and subscribe, share, and give us a five-star rating, which really helps other people find the show. You can find all of our shows, recipes, giveaways, videos, and much more at radcast.com. While you're there, please help support the show by purchasing a Radcast Outdoors shirt or hat. Please don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We also have a Radcast community on Facebook called Radcast Nation, and we'd love for you to join in the conversation there. And of course, please help support our sponsors who make this show possible. Thank you again to PK Lures, Bow Spider, and High Mountain Seasonings. Until next time, get out there and enjoy the outdoors.